Welcome, everyone, to Good Night and Good Game, your source for geek news for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Hector. Hello. Hector, I've missed you. I've missed you, too. It's been a while since we've been on the air. It's been it's been a good while. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we should probably address that before we get rolling on anything that we uh, get into here. Uh, this was the longest break that we've ever taken from doing the show, and it was kind of by accident. The first week of November, uh, I finally got the plague, um, mm-hmm. so that ended up shutting down production. Uh, the week after, we, uh, I was in New Orleans, which is something I'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, week three of November, believe it or not, Hector and I kind of forgot that week actually existed <laughs> because we thought that it was, we. Uh, I go on my trip to New Orleans and then Thanksgiving is afterwards. Yep. And so by the time we realized, oh, wait, there's a week between these, we didn't have time to get a show together. Yeah, there just wasn't a show there for you. Yeah, it was just a scramble at that point. And then Thanksgiving happened. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. And yeah, then that was November. Uh, that it was, was November. long. Um, things are, it's a different world now. It's a different uh, world. Yeah, Kanye West is a Nazi mm-hmm. uh, for it somehow. <laughs> I feel like I've been gone a long time. Y'all. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it, the world has definitely changed. Um, but we're back and we're ready and we're refreshed and we're ready to be on a normal recording schedule. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, next week, there might not be a podcast. Um, we will be co-streaming the video game awards over at twitch.tv slash GNGGcast. There is a possibility that there will be a mini podcast. I'm working on the script for it right now, but I need to get everybody together to be able to do it. Um, Cause it's going to be very different than the normal type of show that we do. Right. Um, but yeah, come over with us on Twitch. We're going to be co-streaming the game awards. We're going to be just kind of making commentary as it happens, talking about what we thought worked, what didn't. It'll be a blast for everybody. No, it's a good time. Yeah. So this week on the show, after the news, we're going to be talking about something very near and dear to my heart the importance of role-playing we'll be talking everything from video games to rolling dice but i think it's something for us that uh, finally needs to be discussed now before we start don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg where as a patron of our show you can suggest topics for us to talk about uh, just as a quick note we did finish our horror watching for the patreon episodes mm-hmm. and as soon as we have the chance we're going to get those recorded for y'all and have them up as quick as we can yep and with all that out of the way it is time for the prelude. Prelude. Hey everyone, welcome to the prelude. It's time to dive into what we've been up to this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time, and what has been making us happy. Hector, I know that you've done a lot, and we yeah. only have so much time. I, I surprisingly have don't have an enormous list for this. Okay. Yeah, I I, I, I did very few things besides meet my family and eat a lot of uh, food yeah. over the course of November. Um, it, it, it was, but but some really big good things did happen, nice. and I want to talk about them. I've got like 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 five things on my list. So, the new season of Deep Rock Galactic dropped. As uh, if you've watched the show at all, if you know anything about who I am, you know that I deeply love this game. I even got James to play it a couple it weeks did. ago it for the first fun. time. Isn't that fun? It is so much fun. It's a good time. It's a good time with friends. And that's that's what you want, and that's what I want out of a video game. Really, it's just a reason to hang out with my friends. It's just, it's just, it serves the same purpose as a football game or a competitive foot pass game, which is also football. It serves the same <laughs> um, the, the same thing as a uh, a tailgate or a cookout. You know, that's what I want my video games to be an, an excuse for me and my friends to get together, hang out, and just chat. You know, 
and and because so few of your friends want to co-op a power wash simulator with you you need you need uh, you know a, a video game that keeps everyone interested and to me that's what deep rock galactic is so there's a new season it's free to everyone there's a new battle pass it's also free to everyone who owns the game so just go and play it they they added a ton of new content they added new maps they added new new modifiers to those maps and the new gear new everything it's a, it's a, it's a whole new world just for you to go and mine and mine ore with your friends <laughs> rock and fucking stone brothers next item uh there's a new season of avenue five Okay. If anyone remembers Avenue 5, um, it's an HBO series. If you don't remember it, it is an HBO series starring Hugh Laurie as the captain of a spacefaring cruise ship. Um, the thing that happens immediately in the first episode is this cruise ship is knocked off course, and it goes from being a, a several-week trip to a several-years trip, because that's how orbits work. Uh, so that's fun. And um, it's all just a, a, a comedy of errors and just shit going wrong everywhere. And it's very, very funny. And there's another season of it, and I can't recommend it enough. It's a good show. The only time, and, and I'm an enormous fan of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. The only time I've ever recommended an episode of The Simpsons on this show. The Treehouse of Horror for 2022 is available on Hulu. And if you want to watch it, you should, because it's very good. They do the shorts for the uh, for, for the House of Horror. And like one of them is like really good anime. Mm hmm based on um death, death note, note yeah uh, yeah they, they, they're all at least you know i laughed a good few times this is more, more than i can say for most simpsons episodes these mm-hmm. days but it was good it was really good recommend it um the final thing i have that i watched was i finally sat down over the thanksgiving holiday me and my mom and we watched only murders in the building oh yay and what a fucking good show it is so good like if your thing and even if it's not your thing like murder mystery is a good genre for anybody especially if they don't do it a lot because Mm. you know it really gets the juices flowing in your brain it makes you think about what you're seeing what they're showing you and you know you, you try and figure out who done it before the show tells you it's good stuff but aside from that you have steve martin and martin short two comedy absolute fucking legends juggernauts the gods of comedy Mm -hmm. if there were gods of comedy these two men would be on the pantheon for sure Mm -hmm. but um yeah they just star in this show where they are really into true crime let us not disrespect the selena gomez of it all we should not disrespect selena gomez she's not a comedian yep but she's an actor and she is an excellent one in the show she absolutely kills it she kills it and she fits in with these two much much older gentlemen old enough to be her her grandfather yep you know and 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 she just dialogues with them and has a good time and, and mm-hmm. is on her own when the writing is good very funny mm-hmm. so like the whole thing really fits together it's, it's a great murder mystery there are two seasons of it mm-hmm. you got two whole murder mysteries to get into it's it's great the amount of famous people they get to just show up for like an episode is oh, ridiculous yeah. oh yeah so, so so many actors just show up for a one-off and then yeah. leave because I mean it's, it's like Steve Martin man and, and, and Martin <laughs> Short they practically invented SNL right like like as it came out so you can imagine like like you know tina fey shows up and everyone's like yeah yeah that makes sense but then like nathan lane is there for like a whole season you're like oh shit Mm -hmm. some fucking broadway royalty right there (laughs) but yeah excellent show can't recommend it enough the the last thing that i did 
because we were off for all of November. Yep. Is I both started and rolled credits on God of War Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot to say about it that uh, that I can't. Obviously, I really can't say anything because James hasn't played it yet. But I have never been more impressed with the story in a game in my entire life. Mm. There is a a quality to it to where, and I had this thought several times while playing this game is I had a hard time referring to it as a, as a game, even though the gameplay part is fun. Don't let me discourage you from that. The combat is great. It got deeper. Um, they, they fixed some of the things that people found annoying in the first game. And overall mm-hmm. it is a better functioning game. That being said, the narrative and the way that is told the quality of the acting, mm-hmm. the quality of the actors that you can see on the screen as if they're just standing in your living room, is phenomenal. Even the casting is inspired in this thing. I felt like I was watching an HBO level prestige drama the entire 40, 45 hours that I have played God of War Ragnarok so far. And I cannot cannot stress that enough it feel like if you are into these characters and also happen to be into North mythology, Norse mythology and and into like prestige television it is every box just checked mm-hmm. constantly it is wonderful it is often funny it is constantly heartbreaking it is heartfelt and emotional and deep and deep in ways that you don't expect it to be like i i, I cannot stress this enough this is a game uh a donkey said this it's a game about three fathers three mothers three children and how they interact and how their stories are different and how it all comes down to their own decisions and their decisions of whether or not to fall into old patterns or to be better and that's not something you expect from your big dude with an axe hitting demons video right, game right. but there it is i learned fucking lessons from this game mm-hmm. like that's that that's all i really have to say about it um if it probably won't win game of the year versus Elden Ring. And I don't think I disagree with that because as a game, Elden Ring probably succeeds more than Ragnarok does. Mm-hmm. But as a piece of media, I would give it all to Ragnarok. Okay. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, not a whole lot of my side of the world either. To be perfectly honest, I just have a couple things I want to give a quick shout out to. Um, I finally started and finished the latest season of American Horror Story, which was called American Horror Story New York. Um, if this season of American Horror Story, and I'm going to sound so weird coming out of my mouth, if this season of American Horror Story doesn't win awards, I don't know what will. Mm, it's hard for horror to win awards most of the it time. It is. This season of American Horror Story is specifically about the AIDS epidemic in New York in the 80s. Oh, shit. And it is a brutal season, not because there's a creepy monster floating around, but because human beings are horrible things because you're all your friends are dying of the plague. I wonder why that's hitting home. And, you know, and people are basically saying like, Ooh, go, go put those people away yeah, because they're abnormal. Mm-hmm. It is a hard season. Um, it does have its scares. A lot of it really does come from the situation though. Yeah. Um, it is more about, the telling the story of what was going on there, then here's a creepy house with creepy stuff going on in it. Woo. No, no, no. The, the, the people are the monsters. Yeah. 
Like there, there is so no subte- subtext with this. It is just text. It is like the people are the monsters. The Here people are definitely the monsters, and we're in that situation. And the fact that they got uh, Joe Magnello, Magnello, mm. to be in the season and in a gimp suit. Never have a single line, and you never see his face. But he is a <laughs> wow. star that is billed at the beginning of every episode. That's fantastic. You would have no idea that that's him. Wow. But he is like the star of the season. Uh, the other thing that I binge watched during our little bit of downtime was I uh, started and finished the Tim Burton Wednesday show. Oh, I need to watch that. I almost started it yesterday. Yeah, is it's, it good? It is fun. Okay. Um, it's not going to change any lives. It's not going to win any awards. Uh, it is a nice replacement for Sabrina. It is a young adult person goes to a magical school type of story. Okay. You know, Did they like age her up a little bit. Cause when you say Sabrina, I'm like, they, 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 they like sexified her, but like no, they didn't really, so. they, they didn't really do that. Okay. It was just more the setting and situation and all okay. that stuff. Like, That's you know, fair. she gets and the whole deal is like, she goes to like weird Hogwarts. Yeah, basically. Okay. And it is a little, one strange thing about it is that you're just used to Wednesday Adams being a character who is the weird one. Yeah. And she still is the weird one in the show, but she's also surrounded by vampires and werewolves and other weird shit. So okay. It it's a different type of weird. Uh, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, the only other thing I did is go to New Orleans, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later. So that's everything that we have for the prelude this week. We're going to take a small break. When we come back, we'll be going into our main news segment in the Weekly Raid. The Weekly Raid. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's time for the Weekly Raid, your news roundup for this week's Geek News. Kicking things off this week, we're going to talk about books. Or a book, in fact. A book was just released called A Convenient Parallel Dimension, How Ghostbusters Slimed Us Forever. This book is the definitive guide to the history of the Ghostbusters franchise, both good and bad, and dives deep into some very uncomfortable truths about what happened behind the scenes. While I haven't read it myself, I just wanted to let everybody out there know that it exists. That sounds really cool. Yeah, uh, I did hear a little bit about this. I was reading several articles about the book, and uh, I'm a giant Ghostbusters fan, and I know that some of our audiences as well, so I wanted to be like, hey, maybe you want to check this book out. Um, it does talk about some hard things, like maybe Bill Murray's kind of a dick. Um, it talks about the racism that kind of permeates some of the Ghostbusters franchise. Yeah. Is slowly being fixed, but, you know, things happen. Yeah, with it, it was made in the 80s, man. Yeah, it was not, it was not great, but yeah. it, it hits those hard subjects so that the truth could finally be told about this franchise that we've had so many questions about for so long. Mm-hmm. So the CEO of the Disney company, Bob uh, Ch- uh, Chapek was removed from his position last week with the former CEO, Bob Iger stepping in to fill the role. Chapek was the CEO who engaged with governor Ron DeSantis over the bill, the, uh, the don't say gay bill that ended with a staff walkout at Disney. Oh, Susan Arnold, chairman of the board at Disney said the board has concluded that as Disney embarks on an increasingly complex period of industry transformation, Bob Iger is uniquely situated to lead the company through this pivotal period. Yeah, so that's PR speak for you fucked up. Yeah, that's, uh, well, well, I left you in charge and half the staff walked out, so you need to get the fuck up out of my chair now. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough, but it, it's respectable. I'm glad to hear those changes were being made. Bob Iger had actually said like he was never going to come back to being CEO, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure that when the he ma- wasn't, yeah he wasn't going to let the fucking company die. Yeah, he, was, he, he wasn't going to let the company die, and I'm pretty sure they just showed up with a dump truck full of money, and they were just like, "Here you go." I was like, "Look, we need you to spend six months finding us another replacement. Here's a hundred million dollars." Yeah. Whatever. Hey, it, you can start a foundation for your children's children or some shit. I don't there you know. Go. 
Okay, so by the time this episode has been released, the Marvel strategy game Midnight Suns will have been released as well. Mm -hmm. While you are playing, you might spot a tree with an engraving on it that says Luke W. is here. This is for Luke Wiltshire, who is a longtime Marvel and video game fan that was diagnosed with neuroblastoma when he was just 14. All he had wanted was for a chance to play the game, but at the time that uh, he found out about it, the Midnight Suns game was in an unplayable state. Through the involvement of the Solving Kids Cancer Foundation, 2K found out about him and quickly put together a build of the game for him to play in just 24 hours. Luke is actually named a game design consultant, and his names are added to the credits of the game. Mm. Luke died on November 12th, 2021, just a few weeks after he got to play the game. There is a fund in Luke's name called the Big Love Fund that's goal is to help more children like Luke. How cool. That's like... Yeah, like if I were if I were a you know one of the Make a Wish kids or something like that, I think mine would probably be video game based, and I would hope against hope that it could turn out even half that well. Yeah, and this is news that this had happened in 2021. Nobody mm-hmm. knew about this until recently because 2K wasn't really wanting to do this as a as a media promotion or anything. Right, like it wasn't advertising. It, right, this isn't. Yeah, this is an advertising. Which not, I appreciate. Yeah, he they but the fact that the entire group that was working on Midnight Suns like worked literally around the clock to make a build of this game to go across the because they were in maryland uh luke was in the uk oh and brought and like went over like their social media manager showed up with a laptop and was just like here you go you get to play it that's awesome and so if you play midnight suns and you see the tree now you know the story behind it and i know it's not like our typical fair and news but i really thought that was something really worth talking sometimes about. sometimes the so. industry does a good and yeah. we need to be here for those as well we need to celebrate our victories and mm-hmm. you know talk oh. about the humanity in it and not just about you know corporations fucking everyone over to the end of time yeah it's nice to have a couple happy things to talk about right it is well now that everybody's doing a big sad let's try and raise the spirit of the room a little uh cd project red has announced that the reimagining of the first witcher game will be making a huge change to the way that it's played yeah i bet the game is actually going to be open world so if you didn't know the first couple witcher games were not open world no they weren't the third one was the third one was the first two were well, I mean, the first one was rather traditional. It was like you would walk into a town and you'd have to load into the town. And the town was, you know, like, you know, a few rows of buildings left and right. And then when you left the town, you left out the front gate and you loaded into, you know, some kind of path with where there with trees and shit. And you would follow that path down to the next area that was open and you would load again. It was just yep. old, old video game ass video game. Yep. Second one tried very, very hard to pretend to be open world. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they had very minimal loading screens and big open areas. Then when you get to The Witcher 3, it's just an open world game. Mm -hmm. So I imagine they will try very hard to just remove the loading screens from The Witcher 1, which shouldn't be that difficult. There's a lot of other things that they could change. And like, I'm so, so interested to see what kind of remake they do. Mm-hmm. I really am. It sounds like they're going to be remaking, remaking a lot of it. I think they will be remaking about 100% of it. When you think about the remake of Final Fantasy XIV, mm-hmm. what from the first game did they use in, in the new game? The classes. You know, it's like, like <laughs> the gameplay elements. The, the gameplay elements, like, like, like the design of where you go and what you do and how you do it are still there. Yeah. But 
Is there a music track? Is there a texture? Oh, I don't even know. No, there isn't. No, definitely, know. definitely, all redone. definitely not texture. No, no textures. Yeah. No, like, like the names, the places, and the things are the same, but none of the assets they use to create those things mm-hmm. are there. I have a feeling we're going to be looking at a very similar thing. Yeah. Um, something, and I don't want to shove sunshine up CDPR's ass right now by comparing the remake we haven't seen to the best ones, but I think that what they're aiming for is a Capcom level remake or a Final Fantasy fourteen remake level remake. Yeah, that Resident Evil 2 kind of remake. Exactly. Like, they want to give you something that's like, here's how we would make the game now if we realized how important it was when we were making it. And so I really hope that that's what comes out with it because The Witcher 1, if you can find the fun in it, is a, a great Witcher game. Um, there are some things in it, sex mini game that might be a little weird for people. Um, it, 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 collectible card sex mini. Wait, wait, we don't play sex mini games in real life. Uh, <laughs> this is not that kind of show, Hector. Do you get a card afterwards? Like a collectible, <laughs> like a baseball card? If women handed me a card with like a picture of them on it after we had sex for the first time and I just got to keep like like my deck like in my pocket in case I need to play around when I meet my friends, it would be a better world, honestly. <laughs> Oh, this is the kind of quality content that I have you on the show. Yeah, for, like, right? honestly, like, I, I would be like, I mean, the only question would be, like, how many cards you got? <laughs> uh, James Gunn took to Twitter this week to talk about how future upcoming DC games will be part of a larger universe instead of their own separate games like the Arkham series. Uh, games already far into development, such as the upcoming Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, do not seem affected by this decision. Okay. They're really going all in on the... Marvel, like transmedia yeah. kind of, oh, you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I find I, I will say I, my one little disagreement is I do like having those separate entries mm-hmm. like the Arkham series. So I'm hoping they're not going to dismiss those outright. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. I mean, I I, 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 I don't know. I just like like James Gunn just wrapped on Guardians three, right? Yeah. So like like he's done. The trailer with just that. dropped before yeah. the show. Oh yeah, the trailer did just drop. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, when it comes to DC, I mean fucking take your time yeah. and get weird with it. Like, you know, that's all DC fans want. And I yeah. know that like the DC has yet to try and get weird with it. They've, they did get away with a giant starfish. They got away. Yeah. The James Gunn got away with Starro, you know, and we got the emancipation of Harley Quinn. That was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the rest of them, even if you go back to Aquaman, like they tried to make that, huge and it was genuinely more fun than it was bad like that 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 movie i would not call that movie bad Mm -hmm. but it was just like you could have gotten weirder with it and i think that's what james gunn's gonna bring to the table especially when it comes to our main stage if you want to give us batman from now on get weird with it Mm -hmm. you know and the v batman is a great example of that See, that's almost kind of what I pictured when, like, they offered James Gunn the position at DC that they did. They're like, by the way, we want to bring you in as, like, head of DC. And it's just Star-Lord being like, all right, man, I'm going to make make some some weird weird shit. shit." (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's what I am hoping for. Yeah, no, no, because if you watched, you know, if if you watched Suicide Squad 2 and you get Starro and you get the guy with the weird stuff on his head and then the lady who controls rats... Who's, you know, father is Taika Waititi. Like, like you're gonna, you realize the blueprint for what's gonna make DC interesting to people. Right, exactly. 
Uh, let's see. We got a few more things to talk about here. Uh, Australia has introduced a new anti-loot box bill. However, unlike the Netherlands, which is outright banning the use of loot boxes in video games, Australia's bill will require games with loot boxes to have an age requirement of R18+, plus, mm. which is the equivalent of a mature rating in the ESRB. In an explanatory memorandum about the bill, Australian politician Andrew Wilkes said, loot boxes are another form of gambling and can potentially become addictive to young players and that this bill is reasonably proportionate to the legitimate purpose of protecting young people from exposure to gambling-like features in games. Right. So, Netherlands saying no loot boxes. Mm. Australia's like, mm, Yes, but make sure it's blatantly marked as gambling. Right. So I feel like this decision for Australia makes sense considering the rest of their decisions about video games. You're talking about a country that just censors the absolute dick off of literally the, the dick, dick off of like whatever game they get. It's like, mm -hmm. are there boobs in this? Blur out the boobs. Is, is, is there some some like 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 extra murder? Censor out the oh, extra let's, murder. Let's go into the, the cover for Left for Dead. Yeah, absolutely. The, like you can't have a dismembered hand. Yep. That's not cool. Yep. Like, like, like people missing fingers. That's not what we want. We're, we're Australians. There's no violence here. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. All the the nature is designed to kill you. <laughs> like like the people aren't the monsters. Yeah, there. we're not, not going to discuss what happened to the you know, indigenous people of Australia. Yeah, that's tough uh, islands, man. But um, yeah, uh, this decision makes perfect sense because instead of saying no loot boxes, um, instead they said, well. It's got gambling in it, so um, let's make it for adults only because video games with anything but kittens and rainbows and puppies are all for adults only. And that's just how they feel about video games. They feel like video games should be for children, and if there was any non-child-friendly con non content in it, it should be only sold in, like, porn shops, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. It is a move to at least get loot boxes out of the hands of kids, which we can say yay. Yeah, right? yeah that's a good that's, thing. That's a good move. So we're, we're down with it. Uh, Sony has launched something called PlayStation Tournaments. It's a new feature on the PlayStation 5. With this feature, you can scroll to any game on your home screen that supports it and view which upcoming tournaments are available for that game and the results of ongoing tournaments and a bunch more information. Mm. According to Sony, this feature is not just for the, quote, hardcore esports player, but is meant as a way to get the average player an accessible way to view and join esports tournaments. I love this. This is such a good idea. We always talk about how accessibility matters mm -hmm. in all video games. And this is this is one of those things. No, this is going to be right? a great thing. Uh, you know what I would really, really love this for? And I know it's a smaller community than people who like fighting games or go to you know tournaments for like multiplayer things. Yeah. I would love a system like this to be in place for the speedrunning community. That would be cool. If you could like look at the games that support like PlayStation speedruns and just have listed times. Yeah. And be like, well, I want to be a part of that community. Okay, we've signed you in. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to start a run? Here's a little button. When you start it, the game starts. Yep, that um, would be really cool. Like, yeah. It's a someday list. But I will say, as somebody who grew up as a kid obsessed with the fighting game community, watching oh, yeah. Evo every year, you know, my dreams were to go play in Evo. But it was all so inaccessible, right? Because I just, I, I was a poor kid. Yeah. I didn't have the money to fly out and do these kind of tournaments. And I was a poor adult who didn't have the money to do these kind of tournaments, right? Yep. And so the Accessibility of esports for me has always been a hindrance based on finance. Mm -hmm. And now there's these tools coming.
pointing out that I just go, God, I wish they had those when I was a kid. Like, I wish we had the ability to just boot up Street Fighter and see a tournament, bam, right there. And you could just join the tournament, right? Yep. Like, oh, God. But I'm happy for the kids that do get to have this now, mm-hmm. right? Accessibility matters, and we will get so much amazing talent from maybe just some child who's sitting there, boots up a Guilty Gear, and goes, oh, hey, there's a tournament this weekend. Maybe I just want to try. Yeah, maybe I should just join, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right, everyone, it is time for that segment that everybody seems to love and we both love and hate. Mm. That's right. It is time for Blizzard. Are you okay? Oh, God. Fuck. No, they're not. Like, <laughs> like oh, Jesus. We have a bunch of things to discuss here, so we're going to rapid fire through them. So here we go. Serbia, Brazil, and Saudi Arabia have approved the Microsoft buyout of Activision Blizzard, while it is being reported that the FTC is very likely to file an antitrust lawsuit over the proposed bid. So I like that you just gave me like a list of three countries with a combined population of like several million people, and have said like they're in favor of this. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. If, if we it, like, like if Pandora existed and there were nothing but Navi, <laughs> and they were up there going like, "Yeah, I really do think Microsoft should be allowed to buy Activision Blizzard." People would go like, "Fucking thanks, I guess." No one asked you. Like, I don't understand. Who you know who it matters to? The FTC, because the FTC can be like, "Oh, we don't like this," and they'll be like, "Okay," and we'll be like. Can't do it, like ab- like absolutely not. But please, FTC, let them do it. Oh no, honestly, like all legality aside, the, the FTC is looking at this deal the same way they looked at the merger of uh, AT and T and Time Warner, mm-hmm. um, which is now agreed on as one of the worst mergers of all time. Right, uh, something that was demonstrably bad for the economy. I don't think this is that. I think this is a bad company getting bought by a decent company and hopefully becoming decent in the process. Yeah. Um, that is that is what we're looking at here. If we're looking at it from a purely purely financial point of view, all I can say is I don't give a fuck. Right. None of this effect. Like I could have a thousand shares of both stock, and it still wouldn't affect me financially. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to me. Like like it wouldn't let me retire, and it wouldn't bankrupt me if it all went away. Like it's it, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. No one cares. The only people who care are people far far richer than any of us. Right. But what is on the line is all of our favorite games that Blizzard is murdering as fast as they can, and all we want is Microsoft to come in and slap them on the hand and say fucking stop it. I would also argue that what is on the line here is people who work very, very hard in the games industry that deserve a lot better than they're being treated. Goddamn right. Yeah, we need we need decent working practices at, 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 at Activision Blizzard. And hopefully it just makes working practices better everywhere, by example. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that, that's what we hope for. Sources are saying that Microsoft is currently working on a 10-year uh, deal licensing uh, products with Sony so that things like Call of Duty would still come to PlayStation uh, for after the time the deal between Microsoft and Blizzard has gone through. So this is a big point of contention that Sony's been making a big hoopla about, yeah. saying like, hey, you're taking Call of Duty away from us. That's a big moneymaker for our console. Please don't do that. And that's part of the reason things like the FTC and stuff have been getting involved in this. But Microsoft's saying like, look, we're going to pen a deal and we're going to give you 10 years. You got 10 years to come up with something. So, so this is what I love about the back and forth that they've been having, because you get so many just open face comments from both of these legal teams, Mm -hmm. like Sony going like, well, 
Well, all the other shooters like Battlefield, they're they're considered B tier and low quality when you compare them to Call of Duty. Call of Duty is the big one, and you can't just deprive our entire player base of that. Yep. And then Microsoft comes back and like, look, you know, Call of Duty isn't that good, right? <laughs> like, 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 honestly, you know, it's not that good. And Sony's legal team is like, yeah, but it's better than Battlefield. It's not like we have any other shooters that we own. And like, Bungie's over here, like, the fuck. <laughs> right like like you bought us like like last year motherfucker <laughs> we we're a shooter we're, we're we have a better shooting than call of duty and so when sony responds with that microsoft comes along and they're like yeah but like you have all these exclusives and if we're being honest they're way better than any of the games we put out <laughs> like this is these are the conversations being had in front of a judge so that someone can decide whether or not Microsoft can buy Blizzard. Like it's, <laughs> if 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 twelve year old console wars me would just like die of like anger anger fueled erections <laughs> through just reading through this court case and watching these lawyers admit openly to all of their faults. I thought all of your company. erections were anger fueled. Well, when it comes to video games, yes, <laughs> that is true. The National Labor Relations Board, or the NLRB, has stopped Blizzard from expanding the upcoming Blizzard-Albany Union vote to include employees from other departments. Mm. So right now the vote is only for the QA testers. And the reason that was given for this, and I'll just give you a quote here, the NLRB has denied those attempts to expand the vote because the petitioned for unit of quality assurance employees, testers, share a community of interest. Basically, they want to make sure that the testers are allowed to vote to unionize through them themselves and their department. Right? <laughs> they don't want other departments yeah. coming in and making this vote for them. Right. Um, so they were saying that uh, going into this, they, they, they give a big list of stuff that I have like written out here. But really what this boils down to is when you start to read these articles, because I read several of them and some of the legal documents for it for mm -hmm. them, um, your gut reaction is like, well, why aren't you trying to include other people into the union stuff? But the further you get into the breakdown of it, essentially what they're trying to say is that the people who work in QA have a different series of standards and fi uh, both financial and personal that they're held to. Mm -hmm. um, they say specifically in there that they are temporary work assignments, um, that it doesn't represent what they call the periodic and two-way transferred uh, of uh, that may suggest blurred departmental lines and a truly fluid workforce with roughly compatible. Uh, comparable skills mm -hmm. so uh, just just to break the weird wording down for all this essentially what they're saying is that qa testers exist in a bubble that is very different than developers and that's why they're trying to get them to unionize by themselves um, because they are underpaid they are overworked um and they are treated as second class citizens mm -hmm. compared to quote game developers right. right and so they want to make sure that they're voting in the interest uh for the union based on this the needs of the qa testers yeah and that makes sense i mean if their job has different you know just realities to it then if, if a whole other team came in and the qa tester said we're demanding this and they said well we already get that we want to leave that off the table right. but yeah but that's no good 
So it's a weird thing situation where the headlines almost make it try and look like Blizzard's the good guy because they're basically like, no, tell all of our people up there to unionize yeah. and they're being shut down for it. But that's not what's going on here because yeah. Blizzard's essentially relying on if they were allowed to get everybody in there, everybody else would vote against the QA testers. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, just look, if you see an article come out and it says something nice about a corporation, just just believe that it's horse shit <laughs> right because just, it is just listen to what we have to yeah. say here if you want to know if, if you want the tea if you want to drink it just ask ask someone who's trying to unionize they yeah. they, they, they got the scoop you trust me exactly finally activision blizzard has changed their sms protection policy um their whole system actually to allow for prepaid phone plans. So mm-hmm. let me break some of this down for you if you haven't been following this on the show. When Overwatch 2 was first announced, many people couldn't access the game because they had prepaid phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blizzard later removed the SMS protection for anybody who had already purchased Overwatch 1 before Overwatch 2. Now, anybody's able to play Overwatch 2 as long as you have a phone tied to your account, whether it be prepaid or not. So this was a big deal. There's a lot of controversy around this when the SMS protection came out because a lot of people have prepaid phones. They don't have, you know, expensive phone plans. And they were basically saying, like, we cannot play the game because you won't allow it to happen. And so Blizzard has been slowly making concessions and trying to fix it. And the way that a lot of this reads to me is honestly, they didn't expect A, the backlash, and B, they didn't know how to fix it when the backlash happened. Mm Mm-hmm. This, the, the the result that we are seeing right now of, okay, now you can use prepaid phone plans was them having to go to their tech people and go, okay, how do we fucking fix this? Yeah, 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 right. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it was, yeah, a technology-based solution that just, uh, yeah, I mean, and this is so, like... This is the same shit as like telling all you know all your kids like all your kids in your school you have to go work from home go home and open your laptop and send on to your Wi-Fi and you know half the population is like I don't have both of those things right you you need to accommodate me mm-hmm. or, or you're going to lose me yeah yeah and that's a lot of what's going on here but they've you know managed to fix it mm-hmm. and so as long as you have a prepaid phone. You can now play Overwatch 2. So they are expecting a large influx of players very soon. That's good. Yeah. And that is everything that we have for the news this week. But stick with us as we will be getting into our main topic in the boss room. Boss room. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's time for the boss room. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. So this week, having come back from one of the biggest and best vampire LARPs or live action role playing games that I've ever been to, I've had a lot of feelings and experiences that I want to get down and talk about. So our main topic this week is about the importance of role playing. Mm -hmm. But our talk is not going to be limited to traditional role playing like D&D, although we will touch on that. For this discussion, I wanted to think about how important role play was to our day to day lives through our interaction with others, inside video games, and of course, when we play RPGs in person or online. Mm -hmm. Sadly, our talk about role-playing in the bedroom will be relegated to our after-hours show, which sadly doesn't exist yet. Uh, yet. So, but if that's the thing you're into... Maybe hit us up on Patreon. (laughs) Yes. So, Hector, we're going to start this off with a really easy question. Okay. Do we, as humans, role-play without knowing it in our day-to-day lives? Yeah, constantly. Yeah. 
Of course we do. It's just it's it's a it's a little trick that makes us um, uh, able to live in a society. Um, for those of us that can, it's uh, empathy. We we find it fun. So oftentimes. When I mean, let me give you just the smallest example possible, and we can argue about whether or not it's role play, but mm -hmm. at its core, it definitely is. If I'm going to quote a bad movie to you, um, trying to give an example, um, that Austin Powers, sure. and I'm going to say a really killer Mike Myers line from Austin Powers to you, do I do it in my normal voice? No. No, I, I put on the fucking weird accent, no matter how good or bad I am at yeah. it, to say, do I make you horny? Yeah. Or like, however bad you can do that, because it's more fun to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And because if I said it in my normal voice, you might not get that I'm making a reference and they're sure. asking you a weird question. Sure. The reason is literally immersion. It's yeah. so that you get it and so that it takes you there. I would I would take that point. I think that, the, you mm -hmm. know, doing impressions and things like that is a form of role-playing. Mm -hmm. I think there's other ways that we as human beings unconsciously role-play in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, so I'll get your opinions about some of these. Um, let's say being around the family at holidays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm certainly not just unfiltered me mm -hmm. at the holidays around the family. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Uh, sometimes on dating apps. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, I try and be as honest as I can on dating apps. It's understandable. Yeah. yeah, but but sometimes you want to put your best foot forward, and maybe oh, that's absolutely. Yeah. Oh, not always a representative of the full picture. Mm -hmm. uh, being around coworkers. Being around coworkers. Oh God, yeah. No, I don't say anything. I actually think <laughs> around yeah. coworkers. It's a weird form of role play, and it can be debated whether or not those are forms of role play. But mm -hmm. you are being a person other than yourself in those moments. You are not being the most genuine, honest you mm. that you could be in front of other people. And like you said, it's a contract that we have with, with society that we just don't run around being us naturally 100% right. of the time, right? Yeah. I mean, some people don't understand why we don't piss in the corner. But right. if they did that, society would punish them. Right. Some people, um, you know, just live their lives saying things like, Elvis is still alive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we they are not... They are not punished by the law or by human beings punishing them, but they pay a social price of just like, sure. yeah, you know, and in order to avoid that, we often pretend to be different people. Okay. So role play in video games can take a lot of forms. Mm. So for some people, it's playing a traditional stat based RPG, grinding out levels, taking on God. Uh, but for a lot of people, they use role play in video games in other ways. So in games like the last of us, we can take on the role uh, of another character and that character we become emotionally invested in. Sometimes those games cause us to make decisions that maybe we wouldn't have made, but felt right for that character to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so what do you think about that as a, as a role play exercise? Because Last of Us is not a role playing game. But. Right. Well, but I mean, here's what I know. Uh, what I know about role playing in that sense is you... Part of you does what the what what you know the game needs you to do, mm. but then the other part of you, if faced with a decision, you 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 want to make the best decision you can. Not a good game with good writing will put you in a position where you don't make the decision that you want to make 
because it will keep everybody alive and will guarantee you the best outcome or the best ending. You want to make the decision that will make your character happy. Mm-hmm. And I believe on some level that is because you, you just want your character to be happy, man. You spent so much time with this character. And you played the Mass Effect games, right? Oh, yeah. So let's use as an example here. Mass Effect is a role-playing game. Oh, it yeah. is a decision-based game. You have to make life-or-death planetary decisions when it comes to the things that your character does. Yeah. You know, who are you playing? And it's different for everybody. There's, there's, not, is. there's not a cut-and-dry answer for this, but who are you playing when you play your shepherd? Are you playing the shepherd that is an extension of you, or are you playing as an extension of your shepherd? Exactly. No, and, and you know, you can go either way. And, and, and that game, it, with its mechanics, kind of gave you the option to do one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Because in that game, you could... They had Paragon and Renegade, basically good and evil. And you can... The more you advance in these trees, the more access you get to different abilities. Right. In either direction, and you get more and more access, and it will exclude certain things, too. There are certain characters that may be more renegades who won't really follow you as closely or allow you to be friends with them if you're on the Paragon path and vice versa. So there's content to be missed there. So you kind of have to pick what kind of leader you want to be. It can be very informative to you as a human being if ever put in that situation. It's like... How do I want to inspire these people? How would I how would I talk to them in such a way as to get them on my side and get them on board with my idea? How would I would I learn to trust them and mm-hmm. follow their lead or would I give them an assignment and then just take command at the last minute when although so that's all we need. I want to compare similar, same, same, but not same here because uh-huh. mass effect, you're very from, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I am mm-hmm. speaking out of ignorance here. Mm-hmm. Your shepherd is very much a blank slate that you get to kind of write into how you want your shepherd to be right. Uh, for the most part. Yes. I mean, all of the dialogue is set, but you pay, basically get to, paste what kind of leader he is onto okay. him with the decisions that you would make on this. So I'm going to go to a different example. Same, same, but not same. Knights of the Old Republic. Ah, see, very different. See, in Knights of the Old Republic, same base system, mm-hmm. right? Good and bad. But you find out, like, halfway through the game, you are the bad guy. Yeah, you're the bad guy. Yeah. Like, and I feel like that revelation in the game almost could change the way that you decide to play the game moving forward Mm -hmm. because you're like, do I continue down this good path that I'm on or do I embrace who I was, you know, in the darkness? Right. And so it, and in some point you are also asking yourself, what would Revan do if he suddenly found out, you know, it, maybe it's your decision that you wanted to be a good person, but like logically he wakes up and he's just like, Oh, some motherfuckers got to go. Yeah. So I have a really good example of this um, uh, is in uh, Star Wars Jedi Knight 2, one of the uh, the second Kyle Katarn game. Love those games. Those are fantastic games. That one definitely had a Jedi and Sith system and you could get. Um, no, I'm thinking of the third one. I'm thinking of Jedi Academy. Okay. I'm sorry. This is Jedi Academy. You had the d- light side and dark side. You start as a nameless character who was trained by Kyle Katarn at the Je- Kyle Katarn at the Jedi Academy that Luke established. Like, mm-hmm. like, like you could not have a more Jedi pedigree. Right. When you go through the game, and the more you develop your Sith skills, the game just kind of stays where it is. It just kind of does what it's doing. You still go through the campaign, and it's mostly the same. And when you get to the last level with all your Sith powers, not only are you killing all the Sith that you brought your Jedi in to fight, but you're, you're killing the Jedi too. 
mm-hmm. you're killing everyone. Everyone attacks you on site because you betrayed them because you have the Sith thing going on. Mm-hmm. So you get to the final level. You fight the last boss that you fought as a Jedi in your first playthrough. Now you're fighting him as a Sith. And you don't show any mercy. You just murder the shit out of everyone. You murder the shit out of the boss. And here comes Kyle. And Kyle is your last boss fight now. And it is the hardest boss fight this game has ever thrown at you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, fuck. I really fucked up. Now I'm fighting Kyle Katarn. But, like, if you win, you have a completely different ending. And this is where I'm going with the role-playing thing is at what point in a game, like, like this where you learn at the very end or in a game like, you know, uh, The Old Republic, what well, what point does your brain switch and say, okay, I'm the bad guy? Not right. like, is, is this, is, is this, you know, is any of this right or wrong? All of it is necessary, but mm. like, are you comfortable with this? Are you right. comfortable with this to get the job done that you're getting done? And that to me is like the really interesting part is like, do I do I kill these people to get the thing that I'm meant to achieve? Like, is it worth it? I think for me, when it comes to role playing video games, it comes in very abstract ways that maybe a lot of people, a lot of people don't do. Like, um, there was a game in the Xbox 360 called the darkness Uh and other people have done this exact same thing, but it shows you about being the head. It's a shooter game with demonic powers and it's in this mafia setting based off this comic book. And the game is way better than the comic book. And there's a thing they put in the game where in act like two or three, you get to sit with your girlfriend on the couch and watch a movie. And you don't have to get up. You can skip it at any time. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, go on and start going back, shooting bad guys, all that stuff. But the game will just let you sit there yeah. if you want to. And because I was so invested in the story of the main character in the darkness, he had just gone through some fucked up shit. I was like, I really want this guy to just, like I, I, it, my, me in his head was yeah. just like, we need to sit here for a while mm-hmm. and just be with her because yeah. whatever's going to come next is going to be really fucked up. I bet. And it's something that I do in video games. And I know that I've talked about this before on the show where it, a bad habit that I'm trying to quit is smoking, but in a video game, when a developer, if I'm really into a game and really into a character and having a good time, um, when I find something like a spot to sit down that overlooks a hill with the sun coming up or mm-hmm. a, just a quiet moment. A place where the game's trying to make you like take in the sights. Right, just take mm-hmm. in the sights. And I'm not thinking like a bonfire in Dark Souls. I'm talking about like the hilltop at a Dark Souls where they just, there is no action. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they're, they're, I keep forgetting you haven't played Elden Ring because there's a perfect spot in that game where yeah. I would know exactly like that spot. Yeah. yeah. And if the game gives me an option to sit my character down because I'm in that headspace, I want to take that minute too. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't always do it necessarily by like watching the character, watch the thing. Like I'll usually have like, it'll most games have like a very calm soundtrack in these moments. Oh, yeah. I'll crack my window yep. and I'll let the music flow out to my back porch while I have a cigarette mm-hmm. and I'll kind of look out at the sky myself and I'll just be like in that moment. And it was, yeah. it's a weird form of like role play that it just, I am there with them. We're both doing something very different, but in, but we're like connected in that second. So what you're describing is literally my primary form of role play. Mm-hmm. Um, it is trying to immerse myself as much as possible 
into the character of playing in small ways. Like, uh, it's one thing to, like, you know, want to go play Metal Gear Solid 3 by throwing on a bunch of camo and a headband, sure. and, like, sitting there on your couch. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That is actually very cool, and I'm super happy for anyone who likes to do that because that sounds like a lot of fun. For me, I found this out when the first Dead Space came out. I was sitting there playing it on my PlayStation 3, and it was cold outside. Mm -hmm. And... I'm the type of guy who likes his windows open when it's cold outside. And, you know, I had a sliding glass door at the time and that was open and just the screen mm. was closed and it was starting to get too cold. And I was playing this game and it's a game about being in space and it's always cold in space and it's very quiet. And it was one of those days where it wasn't quite snowing, but you know, when it gets really cold and the air gets very still, mm. like it was one of those days and it just felt right. So I just like, went into the room and grabbed a bunch of hoodies and like some blankets and I just let myself be fucking cold in that room mm -hmm. while I was playing dead space so that I could like have some kind of connection with the character I was playing. And there's an immersion there that makes me forget about anything else that's going on. Another favorite example of mine, when the Witcher three came out, I had this, um, uh, uh, outdoor uh, 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 picnic table, right? Mm -hmm. That goes on a balcony. And it was just wood, wooden slats, wooden chair, wooden bench. Mm -hmm. And I had, you've seen it outside of my house now. I have this little lantern that you can put a candle into. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, it got dark out. And I went out there with my laptop and my mouse so that I could play The Witcher 3. And I lit that candle and I just set it there on that wooden table <laughs> so that I'd have like, you know, just like, uh, you know, it, it felt it felt right. It felt like the place to be so I can play this game and not really think about like anything else, because the table is an extension of my play space. The candle is an extension of my play space. Um, I do this a lot. When Ragnarok came out, it was suddenly cold outside. Mm -hmm. And that, a lot of that game takes place in the snow, because if you know anything about North mythology, Fimble Winter comes before Ragnarok. So. I have winter going on in the game. It's a naturally cold there. And it's a, it was a naturally cold in Austin that weekend. Mm -hmm. So there I am again, windows open, cold outside, um, you know, playing a character marching through the snow and, yeah. and it, it, it feels good. It feels like, like I'm extending my play into the room that I'm in and I have fewer distractions and I'm more able to, think about the game through the character's perspective and in a game with that much narrative it really helps and in a lot of what we're describing here some people will go well you're just talking about immersion and that's true but i think that there is an aspect to role play that is immersion immersion but, only comes from like, role like, play. like you know when you're surrounding yourself in that kind of thing one thing that we can't speak to obviously is that video games provide an opportunity for people to explore um sexuality and gender oh, sure. in a play space um, where maybe they are more trusted and maybe have other people in that community who are not treating them poorly for feeling the way that they do or yeah. feeling uncomfortable in their own body. And that's one of the most valuable things that role play can do is allow you to express yourself like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. People literally discover things about themselves by doing things like that. And again, I would argue I would argue that that the only way immersion works is if you let it. And like we were talking about earlier, this is a form of role play. If I if I'm playing a video game and I'm looking at a menu and I'm saying, "Man, this menu really just feels like it's part of the game." Again, I'm using the example of Dead Space. The Every menu in that game is diegetic, means it comes from in the game. It doesn't come from outside. When I hit pause, a screen 
a, a projection pops out from Isaac's chest that shows a little hologram of what he's looking at. And everything you look at as you move the squares in his inventory, his head goes to look at. You're playing as Isaac. That, that That's where the diegesis comes from, and that's role play. And that's only interesting to you if you're trying to put yourself in the character's shoes. Otherwise, it looks like a neat trick of programming. Right. Like, and that's then, and that is what you, you, being able to put yourself in this place is so important. It's so important. And I feel like that's what role play is. So for some people, role playing is how they find their sense of community. Uh, for example, I ran a Final Fantasy online guild for years. It was on a server that was known for being the role play server. Almost everybody was role playing in character there and almost everybody on the server were friends. Uh, but before that role play, role players in general were my community. Uh, I regularly participated in LARPs. I helped run a lot of games as a storyteller. And when I stepped away from that world, even though I didn't know it at the time, I did find myself missing a big part of who I was. Um, my people were a community that spent every week together being other people around one another. Yeah. And that's a weird thought to kind of process, right? You know, we're all a community of friends who one time a week were not ourselves, mm -hmm. right? But, and yet it is the thing that brought us together and made us who we were in our 20s when we were all really weird. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went through a long wow phase and I never did any RP, but I, I, I can, I still know what you mean because we did do meetups eventually, you know, and these are people you spend you know, 15, 15 hours a week with raiding, you know, several dungeons a week. And when we meet in person, they're so, so different, mm -hmm. which makes you wonder like how much of the role play is just coming through in Ventrilo at that point. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's uh, knowing to, that you need to have a different way of communicating with the world. Mm -hmm. Um, in order to experience something has always been interesting to me. Um, my favorite example is, uh, uh, and this it could be an urban legend, but there, there's an old story about how uh, Mila Kunis was a big WoW fan and like 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 endgame WoW fan and like like to raid, but she always had to use a voice dissolver because people just recognized her voice, right? And she couldn't, and they just like like she wouldn't be left alone. Mm -hmm. You know, she she could not be she she could not be herself. If anyone knew who she was. Right. So she was always, when she was in the game, whatever, you know, Nimbles or whatever her character's name was, mm. you know, she, she was never Mila. Right. Yeah. Those are things you have to do. So that takes me over to what I participated in this month, which was a vampire LARP in New Orleans called Saturnalia. Now, going into this game, I was playing an archetype that I normally don't gravitate towards, uh, which is the soldier kind of archetype. Um, I tend to play more social vampires. Uh, over the course of two nights of playing with some of the absolute best role players that I have ever had the pleasure of gaming with, I took a character that I thought was so far removed from me and then found out way after that no matter how much you think you don't put yourself into your characters, you still will, even on accident. Yeah. The reason I mention this is to kind of touch on to touch on something that we talked about earlier, which is the idea of exploring oneself through role play. I think it's something that we should all think about sometime when we play games, like mm. just games of any kind. Like introspection isn't a bad thing. And I think asking yourself, 
what do the decisions that I make when I play games say about me as a person? Sure, it could be as simple as I'm doing this for the game's trophies. Could be as complicated as I am deeply uncomfortable with taking an action that would destroy a planet. Mm-hmm. Maybe you employ, enjoy playing a monster sometimes. And you know what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. I play vampires that are monsters a lot. Um, but maybe you take that knowledge to find out a little bit more about yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, think yeah. about these things in those decisions you make when you play a game. I think that that's, if there's any fun takeaway from this, use it as a thought exercise, yeah. I think. So now I'm going to kind of open it up a little bit. Um, Hector, you know a lot more. I definitely did tell you the story of what happened at Saturnalia, oh, yeah. and you got to see my reactions in real time to me discussing this. Um, but let's talk about role play from your side. Any questions or things you would want to ask me or things that, you know, just would fit here? Yeah, I mean, so when it comes to role playing a character just with your body, I mean, it, it, to, to me, it's no different from acting, but you don't have a script. Right. There's no play. Everyone is just in the moment. So I guess to me, my main question is, how do you talk to each other about the game while you're playing the game? So there is, it depends on the system that you're using. There's lots of different LARP systems that use different rules. Mm-hmm. Um, the most common one or the one that I've been exper- that I've experienced over the last two games that I've played is what's called a Nordic system. Mm-hmm. The Nordic system has no sheet. It has no dice. It has nothing. Mm-hmm. Everything is done via consent. And it's going to sound really awkward to describe this to you at first. Um, but typically what you do in this kind of setting is, um, because everything's agreed upon, mm-hmm. say that we are in a heated argument and I want to punch you, mm-hmm. right? So what I would do is we would uh, we would be in the middle of our discussion and I would very quickly drop, sometimes there's a hand gesture that goes mm-hmm. along with it. Um, and, they, and you say, out of game, I want to punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. And you would very quickly go, yes, no. And we're like, that's the end of the resolution. And you go right back to the conversation. And it feels like that would take you out of it. Mm-hmm. But when you are both engaged, because the Nordic style, style of LARPing really encourages um, nobody is the star, right? Everybody is is actively participating in everybody else's right. role play experience. Yeah, so and then, you, yeah, okay, that makes sense because if you base it on a dice roll and it might not like allow you the agency to do this thing. Right. If you're working off of a character sheet, this man may just be unpunchable. Right. Yeah. And so you can choose whether or not I punch you. And if you say no, then I'm mm-hmm. going to say, oh, that's fine. And we just go back to our conversation and we go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is different in different environments. Like I said, in, in, tradi- in traditional old school vampire, you do a rock, paper, scissors. You do have a character sheet. Um, obviously, in D&D, you're rolling stats and rolling dice while you're playing. Um, so it's just kind of a natural part of the lingo as you have it. But in the Nordic style, it, it, it was something that I thought was going to be very jarring when I first played my first Nordic style game, which was, all right, I'm going to be stopping mid-conversation to say, like, permission to hug you, right? But honestly, once you're there and in the moment, it doesn't register your brain is so busy registering what am i going to say next in the conversation what am i going to do to drive the story forward that pausing to say like hey can i do this thing real quick yes no oh yeah sure do it and and because in the nordic style there's it's about uh, exploring the concept of story as a shared experience um i could say like hey i want to punch you in the face and you can say Yes, but I won't move, and then I'm going to punch you in the gut afterwards. And mm-hmm. we can we can weave that in, okay. and then we can act that out, right? And so whatever seconds we lost having that mini conversation, we instantaneously gain back by just going in and performing the action. Yeah, I mean, when I think back, 
when you think back on it, you're not going to remember the, the the few seconds that you were uh, out of character. You're going to remember the, the 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 narrative. Think of it as like a quick time event. Mm-hmm. That's the way that it works in the Nordic style. Okay, right? You know, you you, a lot of sense. you do a quick pause. Your options are on the screen. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks about those options, but they think about the way that Shepard reacted when you told Shepard to do the thing. Right? Yeah. So that's how it's resolved. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to stuff like that, when it comes to role play, like, I get, like, it, it's hard to think about with a game like this because, mostly because I've never done it. But all I can think about is, um, uh, there, there's a there, there's an in character and out of character thing. There's a consent thing, but there's also like the believability of it, right? Like, yep. what do you do with someone you're playing with? Uh, I don't know. Is anyone bad? Like at it is what I'm asking. Like, okay. like if you're That's if a good there, there's someone I'm across from yeah. and they're trying to weave me a, a, a tale right. and they, they talk like uh, 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 fucking Bill Nye, mm-hmm. you know, and there's just no like like it's not part of their character. They're just dry. Right. Like uh, uh, like Ben Stein is a great yeah. example. Like like what? Like, I think that you can always choose not to engage, obviously, if somebody just doesn't rub you the right way. And mm-hmm. that's the way that a lot of people do is they choose not to engage. Um, but remember that you're there in those moments having a shared experience. And mm-hmm. so what something that may would have annoyed you maybe outside of the game, mm-hmm. you don't think about while you're inside of the game because you're thinking, oh, well, maybe that's just their character. That's so fair. Right. You're, you're not thinking about it as this is how this individual acts or whatever. The only time, and this doesn't, I have not, I've only played two Nordic style games, mm-hmm. but in traditional old school, like vampire, you'll get somebody who's like really aggressive and they've got bigger stats than you. And they're going to try and fucking show you that they right. have the big dick in the locker room. Right. Mm-hmm. But in Nordic style, it's not about that. It's about the shared experience. So saying that I'm going to come up and just instantly kill you out of nowhere. Well, a, you have to agree to that. Right. Right. I can't just say that and it happens. Like we have to discuss if that's a thing. Um, in old school LARP, sure, uh, you can probably gut up and one shot somebody, or if somebody annoys you, you can find ways around them. Right. Um, but honestly, when you find, I don't know, I, I talked to a lot of people over the course of Saturnalia, and maybe mm. I was just blessed to be surrounded by the most amazing role players to ever grace you know, the earth. Yeah. But you know, there was not anybody there that I was just like, Oh, I don't want to be around this person. We were all in that moment in those characters. And so when you're so in the headspace of your character, mm-hmm. you're the prejudices that you may have. And that's a harsh word to use here, well, yeah. but, but we, we all have them in some form or fashion probably goes to the side because you're not thinking about those. If you are truly engrossing yourself in the experience in the most immersive way possible, you're letting all of those things go to the side because you want to participate in everybody's stories and you want them to participate in yours. Yeah. No, that sounds really awesome. Yeah. That's why, that's why I want to take you to one. Yeah, no, it sounds like the best, uh, the, the best way to do it. Honestly, I think if I had to have a character sheet and do math, like okay. it would kind of take all the magic out of it for me. Yep. Huh. There's very, very basic mechanics that he teach you in Nordic style. Um, the night in question is held in Bastrop every year. I think that's someone that I want to try and take you out to this year so that you can try it. You know, and honestly, it's a great LARP for somebody who has never played vampire before because most of the characters start as humans and they have no knowledge of what's going on. Okay. So you're meant to come in with just no idea of what's happening. So... And that's the thing about role play is that it can be very cathartic. It can be therapeutic. Um... It can be emotional. Um, 
I got, I know by the, cause it, man, Saturnalia was two days, two days of being a single entity. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that, there were emotions were had and things were felt and bonds were made and, you know, lovers lost and lovers made. And, you know, it was an experience that it's hard to describe and we're going to maybe try and describe it in the bonus episode. I'm going to try and put out next week. Yeah. Um, but it, in the end it's, it was something that you come out the other side feeling healthy, mm. right? You've used it as a way to maybe express some demons. If you played somebody evil, or maybe you got to play a character that got to do some actual fucking good in the world. When you mm. feel like right now you can't. Yeah. <clears throat> Like that's so important. It's so empowering. You got to play a character that maybe got to save somebody when in your daily life, you know, you look at the world and go, how can I save anybody? Right. Mm-hmm. Role-playing is so important on so many levels, whether it be through a Nordic style LARP or probably through a video game or all of these things. Um, but you know, I'm just a man who's been doing it for 30 freaking years or close, <laughs> close to, or something like that. Um, I want to know from your perspective, after all the things we've been talking about here, actor, you know, how important do you feel role play is in general? And I mean, from our day to day lives to video games to anything. I, I mean, I find it very important. And the reason I find it important is not just, it goes beyond fun because a lot of, you know, being, you know, my, my main form of entertainment is video games. I love movies, mm-hmm. love, you know, a, a lot of really good and some really bad television. Uh, I love books, but my, the, the thing that my main entertainment source is mostly games. And there's a role play is more than just fun and it's more than just immersion and like putting your blinders on and not being distracted by the big bad real world out there Mm -hmm. to me role play gives you the opportunity to find out how to be more of who you want to be out in that big bad world because you find the perfect opportunity to do what you think is right at the right time in this interaction in, in you know in, in in a in a larp or in a game or even in a in a fucking netflix choose your own adventure tv show mm-hmm. like, like like you get to make your own decisions and you get to decide what is best for this person and maybe you remember that when you're trying to figure out what's best for you when it comes to telling a truth or being honest or or not telling a truth or siding with yourself against someone important to you um, just so that you can have some peace of mind. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to know when to say no. And, and something that you have to role play in teaches you that. It teaches you the empathy you need either for other people or for your fucking self to just, you know, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, practice for real life sounds condescending, but it honestly like, what else are we doing than trying to practice for, something important that might happen to us down the line. Right. And whether that's shooting a gun or climbing a sheer rock face or, or finding a way to love yourself, finding a way to love yourself or finding a way to love the someone that you originally thought you hated, mm-hmm. um, or at least finding a way to give them the benefit of the doubt, um, finding a way to reject someone that you knew you would always be with because they are not good for you. There's so much that you can learn from role play. Um, that will, you know, just it, it informs who you actually are underneath all the role play. And I think that's 
probably the best thing about it is not only you were talking earlier about bleed when you write a character and you yourself go into it the more you play that character and that character interacts with real things and it makes decisions that character makes decisions even if it's doing it with your brain that character will feed itself back into you in the exact same way it goes both ways yeah, bleed is a very fascinating concept that I may go into a little bit more in another point. But I will say, as somebody who's never played uh, a traditional tabletop RPG game or a LARP like I have, your opinions on roleplay I find very profound because all of that I believe is true and so very important to roleplay on so many levels, whether it be just taking up the role of Joel in The Last of Us and finding empathy for, you know, a child or entering into a 400-person vampire game and just trying to weave a story together. Yeah. You know, all of it has meaning. All of it has impact. All of it is so important. And to dismiss it and just say, oh, it's just a game. Oh, it's just a hobby. Oh, it's just a thing is to take away from the actual, like, positive things that have come out of role play, the friendships and lovers that were made, the bonds that were forged between friends and molten core, the, you know, all of those things, all of those things have value. And that's why I think that role play is one of the most fascinating things in the world to me. And why I think that I'm sad that I missed it, but I'm glad that I'm back. Yeah, absolutely. That's everything that we have for the show this week. Don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg to become a patron of our show. You can head over to facebook.com slash gnggcast where you can chat with us, as well as at gnggcast on Twitter to talk to me because I'm always bored at work. Thank you for sticking with us for this wonderful boss room. It was nice to come out of my role player shell a little bit and discuss some of this stuff with you. And thank you for taking this journey with me. And Hector, I definitely plan on dragging you with me to a LARP sometime. I'm so. honestly pretty excited for it. <laughs> but until next time, for Hector, this is James. And for James, this is Hector. Everyone, good night. And good game.